0: I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 195, It'd Be Easier to Hate You. This week, we're discussing season 6, episode 22 of Buffy, Brave, and season 3, episode 15 of Battlestar Galactica, A Day in the Life.
1: As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay. Buffy, grave, the very uh, grave season finale of this season of Buffy. Um, mm. Heavy, heavy stuff uh, happening here. Um, sure. So... I want to start with eventually we were kind of saying structurally it's not that hopefully complicated to talk about because the characters end up sort of pairing off. Um, but kind of before that happens, we get the the fulfillment of the, the promise from the, ne- the last week, which is, you know, Giles versus Willow. Um, mm. You know, the showdown that we didn't realize we've been waiting for um
0: right right so like last week we get the episode of like buffy and willow and that's cool and everything Mm -hmm. and then it's like oh wait that's right giles ripper like yeah that's
1: yeah
0: and and even like i feel like willow is sort of doing the fan service thing a little bit in some of that where it's like she's like yeah, I don't want to fight you anymore. I want to fight him. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, there's that whole like, yeah, you gave us what we didn't even know we wanted. And now we want it.
1: <laughs> this will be this will be even cooler. Yeah. Um. Well, and a couple things, too. Um, You know, it, it, that makes me think like just from a kind of meta fan service point of view, like. We kind of know. Like Buffy versus Willow sounds like the more obvious thing of that's the hero. So if you're going to have Willow become the kind of supervillain, you want to put pit the hero and the supervillain sort of against each other. But in some ways, um, not that this necessarily is where the story goes, but in terms of your expectation, Willow and Giles is potentially in some ways more interesting because Giles is less of a straightforwardly like heroic character. Like we know about his Ripper persona, like you said, so you know you kind of have to wonder if that'll play into it. We've seen him do some ruthless things that you know Buffy doesn't even always know about the extent to which. I mean, in the previous season finale, I just thought of him, you know, yeah. smothering. Um, oh, Ben. Ben, thank you. Ben is Glory, glorious Ben. Yes. If yeah. So well, I was
0: gonna say, isn't there there's some connection there, right? Isn't there between Ben and Glory?
1: Yeah. Wasn't there something? Yeah. I can't really remember what it was, but oh, that's right. right. Yeah. Um, I couldn't even think of his name. I just could see like Giles like (laughs) standing over him, like smothering him, you know? Yeah.
0: Hand over his mouth and nose. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, which to be honest, until this conversation, I wasn't thinking about that. But like, if I had been, if I'd been, you know, exercising my memory a little bit more, like you bring that into the context of Giles in a fight. Like Giles will fight dirty in a way that Buffy kind of won't really. So that is, again, not that that's necessarily where the story goes. Like obviously it goes to a much more merciful place than that. But you don't know is the thing. You don't know what Giles is capable of or why he's here or what he's willing to do and... I think we'll talk about some like bookends of the season, but also Mm. like they reference the fight that Giles and Willow had at the beginning of the season, you know, of like, yeah, like they are calling back to a place where she was getting, starting to get out of control. And he said some pretty harsh Mm. truths to her. Um, And, you know, and, Yep. Maybe said the truth, but was, you know, not kind in the way he was going about it in order to to keep her straight. So they kind of are setting the two of them up for this, like, pretty dirty showdown, I think.
0: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, and he's so serious. And, I mean like you don't learn sort of the source of his power until later. Um, although Willow does figure out pretty quickly right up front that it's, it's borrowed power. She says, right? Like, right. Um, we don't know from whom at that point, mm-hmm. you know, when, it, when he first started, but you also see that like as powerful as she is, become. right. This is after she's done everything she can to kind of, Gather herself. She's killed Rack. She's drained all the magic books in the magic shop. She's done everything that and like the first thing he says to her is, is sit down and just kinda of waves his hand and it's like, you know, almost Jedi mind tricky, right? Yeah. Like where it's just like, Oh, wow. <laughs> like yeah wasn't wasn't expecting that. Um you know, and then even when like Willow is sort of able to figure out how to get around that, like like it's not like he's a one trick pony like he he continues to sort of keep her at bay and and you know pin her down and and you know put her in that stasis or whatever it is mm-hmm. and and yes, she's eventually able to get out of it and you know sort of ends up kicking the crap out of him yeah <laughs> but like right. but like just seeing that you know and knowing how powerful she is and how. She's being fueled by rage and anger and don't forget vengeance um, you know all of those things, and he's so calm about it, and there's a certain mm. uh familiarity mm. which you know maybe goes back to those ripper days that you can so even if yeah like maybe we're not seeing um you know the the what was Igon right the demon uh that he and his his ripper days buddies had you know pulled out like maybe we're not seeing exactly that type of ripper or or band candy <laughs> ripper um you know uh 50s smoking t-shirt you know undershirt wearing ripper um right but but there is that sort of familiarity aspect of like like he's got this power and he knows what to do with it. He has, it, it's not just like, like what Willow's missing it, as much as it might sound weird to say, like Willow hasn't done the research to have this much power, but mm-hmm. Giles has. Mm-hmm. Right. So when he does have the power, like he, he knows the spells, he knows, he, he understands the theory. He, you know, knows kind of the, the deeper magic if you will you know that willow doesn't quite understand because she's so new at it and and running on emotion and you know that sort of thing um so i do think all of that to say that like yeah we don't get like maybe ruthless whatever ripper that you might want Mm -hmm. to see at one point or another but i do think there is that some of that calmness and familiarity with magic might call back to that right uh, in a way
1: right sure well and i think there might be more to say about this because you kind of tipped me off that like oh be thinking about you know our kind of soul triptych you know symbolism again and 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 we've had some different views as to what exactly the symbolic framework is like the one that I proposed early on, isn't necessarily that the one, the one that the show uses, right? Like when it came to the end of season four, it kind of yeah. assigned them different roles than were the ones that I was thinking of. So like, I think these are, you know, uh, not necessarily, you know, they're, they're kind of still fluid, I think, but, um but I mean, under any, under any, You know, estimation. Willow has, you know, consistently been the character of, you know, mind and intellect and, you know, curiosity and, you know, all of those, you know, cerebral academic types of things. And I think it's interesting then to see her here, in a way, completely abandon that and become this being of, like, pure emotion, um, you know, in good ways and bad ways, because it's, you know, it's the source of the rage and the vengeance and the kind of demonic, out of control power, but in the end, it's also the salvation, right? It's the feeling, it's, you know, it's her, you know, what Giles is, you know, referring to as her humanity that kind of taps her back into herself, too, um, So then it's kind of interesting that like when Giles turns up, it's like, yeah, he is the corrective to that. Like if Willow is sort of moved away from, in a way, her true roots, it's like Giles turns up and he is once again, that figure of, you know, calm, rational intellect. And I don't think it's seen as all good or bad. Like I think this shows all emotional id is you know, dangerous that like, you know, all feeling with no reason to temper it is, you know, you need the balance between the two. So there's a kind of, I think no matter what adjectives you pick, there's a kind of yin yin and yang to Willow and Giles in this episode that like you can pick emotion and reason, or you could pick a kind of like, you know, fire and ice or whatever it is you want to do that like kind of shows them as kind of, Working in opposite to each other, and like him kind of coming back in to temper her and restore the balance and everything
0: well, and I didn't really think about this until you were talking just now, so um even what I was saying before about you know ripper and stuff, like there is a sense like the whole the whole thing is that we don't know the full details right but but like the whole Igon story was that in his ripper days with his young buddies he got out of control too sure. so there there is a sense of like
1: right this is the voice like, of like, experience coming back and yeah. yeah yeah
0: and 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 if we're using the drug metaphor almost like a sponsor right, <laughs> right. Sure. like right. like for a, a aa or something right yeah. um yeah. or whatever and so so there is kind of that sense of like it's not just do what I say, but also I've been there, mm-hmm. and so maybe that is kind of where the more empathic response comes into it all as well. You right. know, that you know, it's not just about like controlling Willow and getting her to calm down and all of that kind of stuff, it's I can understand, mm. you know, the lure of this magical power. Maybe it's not the same. As far as you know losing someone as close as Tara was to willow but but at least the lure of the power and you know yeah going down a road that you can't stop going down, and that kind of thing um is all kind of wrapped up into that right uh, history that Giles has yeah sorry go ahead.
1: no, sorry, I cut you off it's It's definitely true that you know. Pretty quickly you realize he's not kind of Ripper here to sort of like deal hypocritical vengeance on Willow herself. That like, this is like you said, coming from a place of Giles caring about Willow and in order to care for her, he may have to stop her from doing things, but it's not, you know, he's not indulging in some sort of, you know, power trip or, or vengeance himself that like you know, it, it is all rooted in his empathy and his, you know, love for Willow as a person. Um. You know, the line that jumped out to me was the one about like, you know, you watchers are good at, you know, butting into things that don't concern you. And he says, you concern me, Willow. That like, like that's, this is absolutely his business because they're his, his kids, right. you know, they're his Scoobies, he's yeah. He's the parental figure in their life, and yeah, he's been gone, that doesn't mean that it's no longer his business um, yeah. and I mean, well, I think and I like he, how... even, he even wonders, I think, to what extent he bears some responsibility of like, again, that joke of like, I've been gone for five minutes and you guys are like <laughs> yep. ready to kill each other, you know, of like um you know how much does his absence lead to this crisis? You know, would she have got to this place if he'd been around to kind of yeah. talk more? You know, um, sense into her. But
0: yeah, so I like how that um, line about you concern me um, sort of works on two levels too, right? Like it's it's you concern, like the things you're doing. I'm concerned about the things you're doing because of the damage that they're doing, but also like you as a a friend, uh, you know, student, uh, you know, someone who I care about are within my area of concern, you know, like, so there's kind of that double meaning there.
1: Right, Um, right. Your welfare, you know, what happens, Mm -hmm. what you do and what happens to you are both concerning to Giles. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, and I like, uh, so, um, yeah, we, we definitely need to circle back. I mean, we can talk about Giles now, but, mm-hmm. um, when we get to Buffy and Dawn, we need to circle back to this idea of who's at fault for the mm-hmm. things that happen as well. Cause I, I think there's some interesting parallels that I've never really noticed until, um, just earlier today when I was rewatching the Buffy episode for a second time. Um, I think there's some really interesting parallels between sort of Giles's apology to Buffy about for, for leaving and sort mm-hmm. of accepting some responsibility for the way things have gone in his absence and, and Buffy to Dawn and some of the negligence that maybe she's felt mm-hmm. um, or, or not felt, but some of the neglig- negligence she's had in her uh you know, desire to not be alive and and sort of ignoring Dawn's needs and and where some of that stuff has led to and and not just Dawn but Willow as well and and some of the other stuff that has gone on. Um, I find it interesting in some of the ways that they
1: yeah yeah sort that- of
0: have the same response um, to to different people but you know kind of in that parallel
1: right the absent like the absent parent thing, you know, of like, mm-hmm. um, you know, and how does the parent, you know, I like if Giles decided to leave in a more conscious way, how does he know that it's time, you know, like what are, how can you know other than going and seeing what happens, letting them try to swim on their own kind of thing of, you know, how can he really know for sure? Um, you know yeah and and i mean buffy not consciously leaving in that same way but being physically present but maybe kind of emotionally absent from everybody um kind of avoiding yeah. as much of her life as she could and yeah what kind of message does that send to dawn um you know even in some ways like even worse than like a real abandonment because it's like you're there but you're not really there um you know, um, you if you're just sort of going through the motions, you know, that kind of giving Dawn some pretty messed up mixed signals about, you know, how to live your life or, you know, what's important or who you care about and all those sorts mm. of things. Um, sure. You know, yeah. And Buffy's still trying to be a parent herself while kind of still needing a parent, you know? And that yep. awkward, you know, transitional stage that she sort of is stuck in. Um, okay. Why don't we stick with Giles and talk more about um that conversation with Buffy? I mean, I don't know that there's a ton to say. We talked about some of the backstory that we learn about that he has these borrowed powers. Um, we find out that they're from a coven in Devon, um, which has a nice ring to it, um, that uh, you know, that he has connections with. So the Watchers Council sounds pretty much as useless as ever. Um, like he kind of says like they don't really know much of anything. So he has this other source that, you know, alerted him to this, you know, rising power, kind of figured out what it is that happened, and then gave him you know, some special magic to go and, and, you know, try to take care of it with.
0: Yeah. So actually, um, this reminds me that we kind of skipped over, um, any production notes I had, um, and I don't have, I don't have a ton, but, um, just because this comes up in the commentary, um, from, uh, the writer who, uh, is David Fury and, um, director James Contner, who, um, actually team up quite a bit in both Buffy and Angel, and so it's just kind of a weird coincidence it's not mm-hmm. like they say it's not a planned thing, but it just kind of ends up happening that way just based on scheduling, I guess or whatever mm-hmm. um, so they they kind of have an interesting dynamic um, it might be interesting to explore in a paper or something at some point <laughs> I
1: don't know. there you go um
0: but yeah, uh anyway, so one of the things is you know they bring up this uh in the commentary this idea of giles kind of back in england and i guess um so in speaking of the ripper stuff um at the at the point they were doing commentary which would have been obviously after the season was over and and i think after even the next season was over like you know coming back to do commentary with the dvd release or whatever Mm -hmm. um they were talking about like this is the point at which Giles was actually, I guess, in talks with like the BBC and hoping to get a Ripper TV show. And so I get some of that, it appears, sounded like would have been kind of in this time period Mm. where he was gone, um, maybe, or at least maybe at the start of the show, um, would have been kind of covering some of this period where he was away from Sunnydale and back in England and kind of dealing with his stuff and, and... working with this covenant stuff and yes the watchers council being sort of out of the picture at that mm. point as well um so just i mean that never came to fruition but like if we could just sort of in our head canon mm-hmm. like you know like that's what he was doing and maybe so that you know maybe his ripper days aren't as far behind him as we might believe and and yeah um you know it's not like this like, he seems to know this coven, right? Like, it's not like this coven just maybe came to him and was like, oh, hey, uh, can we give you some power so you can go fight this thing in Sunnydale? It's like, they would have had to have known, like, he was trustworthy and knew what was going on and was a watcher and all of his own backstory, too. So, like, you can imagine that there's a pretty strong connection between them here for them to give him that much power and send him off, you know, half a world away to, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, deal with this threat.
1: Right. Well, and even more so when you realize at the end, the kind of trap that they lay, that it's not Mm -hmm. just, it's not even just giving him responsibility over a huge amount of power, but deliberately using that as bait, you know, so potentially sending him on a suicide mission that could then give Willow an enormous amount of extra power to like destroy the world as she tries to do. So yeah, a huge amount of trust when you realize the full extent of the plan that like they, they not only have to trust Giles, they have to believe what Giles says about Willow, Mm -hmm. you know, like they have to believe him when he says that this is going to work or at least has a good, a good enough shot at working that it's worth trying. Um, So they have to sort of take his word on a, you know, pretty decent amount of stuff about things they have no, like they know about magic, but what do they know about the character dynamics and motivations of the people in Sunnydale? Like they don't know anything about these people other than Giles. So to kind of give him all of that responsibility for making sure that this goes off in the right way is, you know, probably pretty significant.
0: Yep, they uh, they lay what in computer hacker techno- uh, terminology is called a honeypot trap.
1: There you go.
0: Uh, where where you set up some kind of uh, you know something that looks appealing to a hacker or whatever, but it turns out to be a way that that will actually trap or entrap mm-hmm. them into revealing you know whatever information. But it's kind of like a a hacker countermeasure so this is right the magical world of the which actually now that i think about it is kind of appropriate for willow given her own yeah. technological uh you know and and whatever uh as well right right um yeah yeah
1: um i mean so we kind of talked about giles apology to buffy and that there being some reconciliation there and um mm-hmm definitely my favorite part of it was his laughing. Um, You know, (laughs) that's great because it is one of those things that like, it's
0: such a long wait before he starts doing that. And so you don't know, like, like you feel Buffy's anxiety and and awkwardness in her confession, you know, there. (laughs)
1: Yeah. No. And it's, it's great because it's one of those things where like, whether it's Buffy or whatever, whenever you try to explain the plot of any of these kind of like fantasy supernatural shows, they always sound ridiculous and they are ridiculous. Like, so she goes, she gives her little recap of like what happened this season. And it's like, <laughs> and it's like the weird mix of like supernatural and like soap opera of like Dawn's yeah. a kleptomaniac and Willow's like a junkie for magic and Tara got shot and Xander left Anya the, at the altar and I was sleeping with Spike. And it's sort of like Buffy meets like Days of Our Lives or something. And so, like, I love that his reaction is to just
0: or or, or like nine oh two one oh.
1: There you go. There you go. Okay, a prime time soap. So yeah, yeah. Um, so not daytime. Um, but anyway, so I like that his reaction is like rather than take it totally seriously, to just laugh at how. A, how, like, ridiculous that all sounds, but, like, B, like, when you do take it seriously, him laughing just, like, out of a kind of nervous laughter of, like, the sheer overwhelming amount of things that are going wrong, you know? Like, that's the kind of cathartic thing, like, for Buffy to be able to laugh about all this stuff that has been weighing her down for the whole season. Um, It's very kind of freeing and healing and everything to just kind of, you know, I don't know, like, um, laughing at the Boggarts or something in Harry Potter. You know, that kind mm. of, like, chocolate and laughter as the, as the medicine for depression and fear. Like, that kind right. of is what that feels like. Of, like, in that moment, because he can come in from the outside, he's able mm. to kind of lift... The burden off of it and see it for uh, it being as silly as it kind of is, you know, which I think then enables her to kind of maybe be more honest and maybe face some of these things and actually, like, you know, tell Dawn some things that she's been bottling up and, you know. Mm. So, yeah. So yeah. having him kind of come in as the outsider and say like this is a funny thing i think is it's a nice kind of perspective on the whole thing sure um
0: yeah so i don't yeah i don't know if there's anything else to say about buffy and Giles um one thing that I found interesting is that <clears throat> for a lot of the uh fight between Giles and Willow, they don't even show it it's It's like yeah, you go they away, cut away, yeah
1: yeah
0: <clears throat> and uh and and kind of check in on on Xander and Don and Andrew mm-hmm. and Jonathan, and then you come back, and it's like the magic shop's just like destroyed, yeah. <laughs> like yeah everything and you know and giles is getting his butt kicked and Mm -hmm. you know yeah being thrown all around and stuff like willow's clearly winning out this this time around Mm -hmm. um and then yeah so she
1: yeah it's like effective use of budgetary restraints you know like of like okay we only have so sure. many and i don't mean that in a like cynical way i mean it's no, like no, no. You, it's like if you literally only have so many shots of willow zapping lightning out of her hands how do you do that in a dramatic way and so what you do is you cut away and then you come back and each time you do giles is weaker and so you kind of get the story through right. the dialogue of what the how the fight is going and what well, the narrative is and everything. And
0: that is, that does come up also in, in the um, commentary Uh because the, the musical episode once more with feeling, and I know we're not like getting into to, like season recap or anything, but uh that apparently took up a significant portion of their budget. So they do talk about having to uh work with less of a budget for this, episode than they did with other season finales Mm -hmm. um and so just kind of some of the things that they had to deal with um special effects wise and and all of that too so i think i think yeah you're right like there is sort of the practical reason for that as well but but i do kind of i mean it is effective because Mm -hmm. let's be honest like some of the you know this is the I think uh, I think I've heard Corey Olson talk about it like a number of times with things like, you know, you, when you have Gandalf and Saruman and all all they can do is like shoot fire bolts at each other. It's like that's not magic, right? Like, but right. that's action, and so that's the sort of thing that gets put into TV shows and movies, right? Way. Because it's and a, it's
1: a visual medium, and so you communicate ideas through visuals. Whereas right. I think magic. I think magic is, I don't want to say easier, but in some ways more suited towards, like, books or oral storytelling because it's a more conceptual thing. It's something that mm-hmm. you, can, you can understand magic working without necessarily seeing physical evidence of it. Whereas, like, if you're doing sure. it in a movie or a TV show, you really have to show it in order to communicate something. Right even so, if
0: it's not fireballs being thrown which right. we get in this episode um you know it's you still have to have like the dramatic you know orchestrated like right. you know chant or you know whatever like hand movements and candles and mm-hmm. like all the paraphernalia and stuff um
1: right right
0: so i you know in it in one way i do kind of think that works then where you have mm-hmm. You come back and you see all this destruction, and mm-hmm. you do leave it a little more to the imagination of mm-hmm. what might have caused all of that. And 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 not that we don't see anything, because we do see a number of things. And you know, uh, I think it all Yeah works pretty well, mm-hmm. you know, for what it is. But um right. I do like that I do like that more suggestive approach. Mm-hmm. Uh sometimes I definitely think that is more effective than seeing every little thing that happens.
1: Yeah. And it keeps the focus on the emotion of what's happening and the, and the kind of more abstract aspects of the magic rather than the kind of flashes of, of light and, you know, all Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, And I think um, certainly I've argued and other people have argued that like with something like doctor who that like the budgetary restraints come like lead to some of its greatest ideas. Like the fact that you can't afford a spaceship. So what can we afford a a box? And it looks, and, and that's like, great. I thank God they didn't give them more money. Right? Like that was like, those are the, the things that lead to the strokes of genius. So like, I think budgetary restraints can be a good thing. Um, you know, there's definitely um, movies and even shows that you see where you think like, well, you know, just because you have the money doesn't necessarily mean that all of this is more is better. Um, sometimes having a little less forces you to be a little bit more creative. Um, so. Sure. Um, Yeah, so I think it works well. Like, just cut back, show Giles kind of deteriorating, and you get the story without having to really, you know, spend a lot of time on the kind of action elements. Um, Okay, so kind of moving into the pairs. um, Once uh, Buffy takes off after the fireball, um, and then, you know, Willow has her kind of emotional head rush, um, her her mm-hmm. emotional OBE to quote the next Battlestar episode. Um
0: yeah.
1: we actually get a fair amount of Anya and Giles, um mm-hmm. which is a which is a nice pair. They work well together and it's nice to see more of I mean Anya was kind of awesome and sort of butt kicking in the last episode. Um in in a kind of new way and to see her continue to do that, but maybe in a little less of the fighting and more, or the spell casting and more just in her kind of caretaking of Giles, which again, like showing that altruism that you said that isn't necessarily the first word that comes to mind when you think of Anya, especially with her whole magic shop destroyed around her. Um, But at no, but at no point does she really like dwell on that or, you know, uh, shame anybody for destroying her property or anything like her focus is on her friends and on the people and on what Willow's doing and, you know, warning Buffy of what the plan is, but then getting back to Giles to make sure he's okay and kind of showing this new, um, very selfless side of Anya, um. Which
0: is nice. Yeah. Good, good on her. Yeah, I mean, and her, her concern for Giles, specifically, too, is, is nice. Because, um, they I mean, they are still partners in the shop, too. Sure, right? like, yeah. So there's yeah, yeah. that yeah. aspect of it. But, um, like, even when... Well, just thinking back to early days when we th- first saw her and when she, like, you know, stuck around Sunnydale and was sort of like trying to flirt with Xander, but didn't know how, you know, as a, as a human to like do all that. And was like trying to get him to run away because the apocalypse is coming and Mm -hmm. all of that kind of thing. And it's like, there's none of that here. And in Mm -hmm. fact, you know, she's willing to put herself into danger in order to help her friends. Um, Yeah. And then even when like, she's, Teleporting to go warn Buffy and Willow about things, um, concerned and wanting to get back to Giles so that he's not alone for what she thinks is his inevitable death, right? Right. right. Um, or impending death, anyway. Um, so yeah, no, I, I like. I mean, I've, I think I told you even way back when that Anya. Mm-hmm. is one of my favorite characters you know in in the show and i think this episode certainly highlights a lot of the reasons why um mm-hmm. i mean i i think she's great in a lot of other stuff too but yeah like like even the like matter of factness with which she like says no you're not when giles says he's dying yeah she's like no yeah, you're yeah. not <laughs> yeah. like like kind of like if she says it emphatically enough, it won't be true. Like, you right. know what I mean? Like right. that, you know, very, uh, straightforwardness of her character is, yeah. is like almost trying to will, you know, things into being. Um, right.
1: Well, um, you saying it that way, kind of, I feel like articulates the, the, the thing, which is so funny and consistent about Anya. Like, and I mean, it's, in a, in times where it's emotional, it can be very moving too. But like, um, what's her name? Emma Caulfield is that the actress? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Her her the voice that she has for Anya is so specific, and she never breaks it. Like it doesn't matter if it's. And that's mm-hmm. not to say that it's a flat reading. Like obviously she shows range of her emotions, but like the way that she uses her voice and forms her thoughts and her sentences. It's like, it doesn't matter if like she's being angry as a vengeance demon or, you know, being really silly or being really sincere or emotional. It's like, it's always that kind of very, you know, precise intonation that she uses and that kind of matter of fact, you know, um, trying to communicate her thoughts into what she must think approximates like a human language and voice of like, how do I express myself? And it comes out in this, you know, slightly too, you know, mannered way of speaking, which is like great. Cause like it, she's able to show the emotion within that, but like the character is just so kind of specific. Um, Mm. And so I think it makes like the scenes like this, that it's like, okay. That's really funny the way she says that line like that, but it's also kind of really touching, you know, so that, like, you know, Anya's still gonna sound like Anya, but you realize how much more that means of what she's trying to communicate of, you know, how she's, you know, how she's grown and how she cares about people and everything. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, and I mean, even the things of like, trying to keep him awake and keep him from dying, and then it kind of trails off into, I'm really, I'm really glad you came. Like, that was a really good thing. <laughs> but in in retrospect, it would have been better if you right. hadn't come and given Willow all that magic. they made her like 10 times more powerful. That would have been a plus. So like, yeah. <laughs> her, even in her sweet moments, she can't help but be honest and blunt, you know. Um, sure. She's not very good at like sugarcoating, you know, things. Um, but that's kind of what makes it endearing. So
0: yeah. Well, and also you're you're listening to her and agreeing with her, but of course, that's the very thing that he intended to do.
1: Well, right. That's the yeah. irony. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. Um, that you learn later. It's like, well, that's it's not only did I like come and and she got my power, but I intended for that to happen. Yeah. So, like, yeah, her sincerity and, and all that is funny, too, but also kind of, it kind of highlights that, but, like, subtly, so you don't, like, when mm-hmm. you're not thinking about it, it's like, yeah, come on, Giles, that maybe could have right. done something a little smarter than that. Right. It's
1: only on the second viewing that you realize, like, the dramatic irony of that kind of moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So Buffy and Dawn, Buffy runs, saves Andrew and Jonathan. Actually, let's talk about Andrew and Jonathan because it's only going to take a second. Sure.
0: Um, Uh, Jonathan and the other guy.
1: Yeah. Who What's his face. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: Um, it, it, it is
0: funny how they just keep like like nobody can remember who he is.
1: No, and like um, yeah, yeah. The, the, let's talk about the, the disappointment that is Jonathan. Um, you know, after so many weeks of build up <laughs> yeah. to his, you know, I mean, it's so funny because it's like how many times have we had that exact
0: almost redemption right
1: almost redemption of of his every single time there's like a jonathan focused episode it's always about this time it's gonna stick (laughs) you know he's he's really gonna get it you know and this one felt like it was gonna stick because there was this season-long build-up towards his maturing and his you know understanding of the right. world and you know and and himself and all these things and then it's like nope you you know you kind of realize all of the the self-sacrificial stuff was really only when buffy was around to watch and enforce it you know um and the second that they're out of you know well,
0: he he did help xander too sure the, like stopping andrew from
1: Right. But even there, like Buffy's kind of around in the abstract, like, like Buffy and Xander are still kind of helping them. And I feel like she, he still feels some sense of protection maybe from, from them. Like, as long as I kind of, and I don't know that it's this, it's this conscious. I think the problem is that Jonathan doesn't really think consciously enough about this stuff. So a lot of it is just going on his impulses. But there is a sense of, like, it's easy to be heroic when you have other heroes kind of, like, protecting you and cleaning up after you and making things okay. Um, And then, like, yeah, the second that Buffy is, you know, seemingly out of the count, you know, and, and Dander's out, Andrew doesn't even have to say anything. Jonathan just sort of, you know, Mexico, huh? And they're off. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, they don't even like, yeah, try to find the rope or anything, like try to help out.
1: No. Um, So, there go all of his, you know.
0: know, They're headed down Mexico way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh I, yeah, I mean, we're running out of time in the series for Jonathan to you know, really, uh, learn his lessons. So, um, yeah,
0: yeah. I won't, I, I mean, I won't spoil anything. We'll, we'll see them again. Okay. Um, you know, it, it, it's, there's not like we're done with the, well, obviously we're done with the trio because Warren's dead, but, um, like there isn't it, we're not going to get like another like season long thing obviously right. cuz it's the last season and we we have other things that we can focus on. Yeah, we have <laughs> but,
1: bigger fish to fry than um
0: Andrew and Jonathan. This is not the end of their story in Buffy. Uh, yeah. Even in TV Buffy. Uh <laughs> um, sure. Yeah. You know, uh not not just resorting to the comics, but Right. Uh yeah, we'll we'll see them again. Um yeah, I won't I won't give too much away there, but uh, just to throw that out there. So yeah, yeah, so okay, so they're they're uh hitchhiking down to uh Mexico and uh meanwhile Buffy and Don get well, they fall down a hole from this mm-hmm. fireball um yeah and yep. uh yeah
1: yeah i mean i think so buffy's apology to dawn is kind of the 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 big climax and you know we kind of talked about some of that already of her kind of realizing her you know the ways i mean specifically with dawn the ways she's kind of let her down as a you know as a big sister and everything um you know, but I mean, it's, it's about more than that, you know, because it's all Buffy's, you know, realizations of not just the way she's let Dawn down, but the, her, the reasons why, you know, all the stuff that's been kind of keeping her from really living in the past season, Mm. Um, you know, and there's the parallels of, you know, she went into the ground at the end of the last season and then, you know, climbed out of it. And so Willow says she's going to give her back to the earth. And then, you know, at the end of the episode, Buffy climbs back out of the grave again. Um, you know, so her kind of, you know, a parallel bookend to that, but also a kind of um, more of a true rebirth than the first episode was of the season um yeah i mean that was more of a kind of buffy the pseudo vampire living a kind of half undead life you know like coming out of the grave but not really living and i feel like you know obviously the suggestion here is more a true sense of rebirth that she's you know reclaimed something that she had lost for a while um Mm -hmm. and is ready to kind of live and be there for Dawn and live for Dawn and show her the world that she wants, you know, her to see and be there to actually enjoy it with her.
0: Yeah. Um, Which is, so even going back, um, you know, to the previous season, um, you get the whole sort of, speech that she gives to Don too right of this is you know the, the hardest thing in this world is to live in it and you know be brave live for me like this is kind of like the parallel here being like she's now actually listening to her own words right. you know or taking her own advice um and all of that so yeah right. no the, the the bookend of buffy coming out of the ground you know, in, in the first episode and then the last, well, technically the beginning of the second episode, but well, we'll right. get Yes. get into, there. Uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, again, here um, is really good, but yeah, there's definitely, there's like a big connotation different, right? Like this is like, mm-hmm. that's like, yeah, she's emerging from death and all of this. And this is more like she's, kind of taking life by the horns again, so to speak. Um,
1: right, right. Well, and there's the kind of, um, you know, Sarah McLachlan singing over the ending of, you know, but but the <laughs> kind of...
0: Which, which is always serious when yeah. you get Sarah McLachlan singing.
1: Yeah, I don't think Sarah McLachlan uh, writes anything other than, like, songs that you, like, weep to. That's kind of, like, her genre.
0: You, usually in the last couple minutes of a TV show.
1: Yeah, yeah, right. Or like sad interludes about girls who like throw their toys onto the highway. Um, To make a, you know, Toy Story reference. Um, But um, things you didn't think had connections. Buffy and Toy Story.
0: Uh, Well, they have a big connection in Joss Whedon.
1: This is true. And I totally didn't think about that until you just said it. So you're right. I stand corrected.
0: Anyway, sir. Sorry. Sorry.
1: <laughs> no, nope, you're sounds. absolutely right. Okay. Uh, anyway, um, I was thinking of the, um, the lyrics of the, like, you know, prayer of St. Francis that play over the end. And, you know, it's all the kind of, that kind of, uh paradoxical stuff that you know I mean obviously St. Francis, but GK Chesterton would always do stuff like that of like, you know, it's it's in dying that you get life, and it's in giving that you receive, and it's in consoling that you are consoled. Sure. It's all that kind of thing. Um and yeah. so like Buffy's uh Buffy's life necessitates a death that there has to, in order to be reborn, you have to go kind of into the grave so that you can come out again, um, mm-hmm. which is a very alchemical idea too, that like it's a, it's a repetitive process of dying and being reborn. And each time the soul is, you know, purified a little bit further, but each time in order to be purified, it has to be broken down again. Um, and so there's a kind of symbolic death and rebirth each time you go through one of these sort of cycles. So. Mm
0: -hmm. Sure. Sure. Um, Yeah, I don't think I have anything to add to it.
1: (laughs) Cool. All right. Um, So saving the kind of big point for the ending then, um, Xander and Willow. Mm. Um
0: Yeah, they don't have much to do in this. They story, don't right.
1: really do much. Um and Xander certainly is aware of the fact that he is not doing much. Um, you know, and yeah. uh certainly doesn't make a secret of his own frustration that he lacks, you know, the the powers to really
0: <laughs> him kicking the you know, mausoleum door and saying, ow, 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 Like, that's just like, that's him in a nutshell, right? Like the
1: right.
0: the sort of useless, you know, it's useless. And the only thing he's actually doing is like hurting himself right? more. It's It's maybe not quite as bad as, you know, back in the early seasons when all he did was literally get thrown around by different demons and stuff. Like every episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still that same kind of idea of just like yeah he's just not like he's even kind of strong now like he's construction and mm-hmm. carpenter you know he's like you know we've talked about like how he has bigger arms now and stuff like that and yet he still like can't kick a door in you right. know right? Um, that kind of thing
1: yeah yeah well and, and Don's Line kind of pointing to what you're saying about, you know, like he says, I've been such a big help already. And Don says feeling sorry for yourself isn't such a big help either. So it's like he kind of can't win because he knows he can't really do much to help. And but even acknowledging about that, acknowledging that fact and, and whining about it is even less helpful. You know, yeah. of like he's not even really well in a position to like complain, you know, like when the
0: when the character best known for her whining points out that you're whining right you know that that's like a clue that right is this is this stop. like
1: when um when they used janice telling ross that he's too whiny to 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 snap him out of his his uh yes. post uh marriage sort of funk you yep. know and and he's like kind she's of she's like she's like are you okay he's like i am now um like that was where I needed to hear it from was, you know, from that character. I feel like this is right. maybe a similar kind of thing. Like, yeah, if, if maybe if Dawn tells you you're a little bit whiny, then you probably want to listen to her. Um. So yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> in another random connections. Um. So. Okay. Yeah. So he's feeling frustrated. He can't really do much to help. He can maybe help them get out of the grave, but he doesn't. He kind of like disappears because we've, I mean, we find out later he overhears, you know, this conversation with Anya as to like where Willow Mm -hmm. went and what her plan is. So he knows everything. Um, But there is that kind of funny moment of like, like the one thing Xander, we need you to do. And like, he's not, like he like one job like 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 what we asked you to help us get out of here and then he's just like off don't know where he is um you know which is kind of you know funny and ironic um but um but he goes and you know confronts willow and yeah i mean i guess connecting with the kind of prayer of saint francis idea he knows that he can't defeat her. So he doesn't, he gives in like, that's his, Mm. that's his response to strength is to kind of just surrender to it, but like surrender himself, you know, and say like, okay, if you're gonna, if you're going to destroy the world, start with me. And I, I mean, Mm. I feel like what he's saying is like, that's what it means. You know, like it's easy to kind of rail against the world as an abstract concept but realizing that that includes your best friend um and that if you're going to destroy the world that means killing your best friend too it doesn't just mean
0: right
1: killing the superheroes you know it also means taking down the regular people too um and the people that are closest to you and everything so yeah Yeah.
0: it puts that personal face on it right it's like it's not just like I'm Willow standing at the top of a mountain, you know, raining fire. It's not like the, it's not the death star view. Like, oh, there's just this planet over there and I'm going to blow it up. Like, you know, it's a face and not just any face. It's the face of one of your best friends, if not Mm -hmm. your best friend, certainly your longest friend, Mm -hmm. you know, oldest friend. And, you know, that means something. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, even that obviously doesn't get through to her by itself though, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's right. it's the reminder of the story of you know, when you were in what was it kindergarten, you know, and you cried because you broke a crayon. Like the same like like think about what you're doing now and think about what made you cry back then. Mm. Like you broke a crayon. Now you're gonna break literally everything. Mm-hmm. You know and and just having someone who knows you that well you know sort of right not i mean i almost said putting you in your place but like he doesn't really put her in her place like it's not about that right it's it's about yeah just the the being there and 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 knowing someone that well that they can sort of pick out the one thing mm. that's going to get through them Excuse me.
1: Right. Well, and there's some continuity there between the little girl who, you know, has a meltdown because she broke a crayon, you know, and, you know, the grown woman who has a much larger meltdown because something bad happened. And that's not to trivialize Tara's death, but, like, there's a continuum there of how do we respond to loss whether it's even if it's a crayon like Mm -hmm. you know I mean when you're four a crayon is like a big deal you know that can be like you know if not your whole world at least a significant part of your world like you know and so if you kind of you know I think he's like drawing that connection to kind of saying like even this willow even scary veiny willow is still willow on some spectrum, you know, that there's some connection and it's doing the thing that Giles magic is also doing of connecting her to her, her humanity, that memories of the kind of person that she used to be or still is. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I mean, so like, and it, it's it's a building thing that, you know, he kind of, starts with his kind of, all right, you know, if you're gonna kill the world, kill me too kind of thing. Then goes on to the like storytelling aspect. And then there's just the kind of um like unconditional love. Good world aspect. hunting moment. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um yeah, the the unconditionalness of it, of it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter what his feelings are, what they are and they're not going to change, which like, if you think of Willow as acting in some way, like a kid that broke a crayon, like you kind of think there's some element of acting out to this, of sure. of of grief as being performed in a way to get a response out of people and to, you know, um, I don't know. Be reacted to in a certain way, and so there's something kind of, you know, not that you know you can't be corrected for those actions, but there's something kind of parental in that of you know, not that Xander's parental towards Willow, but just the way of saying like it literally doesn't matter what you do in terms of my feelings toward you, um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: not that your actions don't matter but that it can't change the way that I feel about you. Right. You know, and that's in a way the like, you know, the hardest thing to hear. Like she kind of wants to be fought against. Like that's, that's what she got from Buffy. That's what she got from Giles was like the big showdown. Um, And that's what Xander won't give her, you know, is the like, you know, it doesn't ever turn into like Xander versus Willow because Xander like just won't go there. Um, so yeah. And you're right. There is a kind of goodwill hunting, um, you know, uh, in her kind of breakdown. It's a similar sort of scene, I guess.
0: Yeah. It's not your fault.
1: Right. Right. And her hair turns red again. Back to that.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Willowy right. red. Right. You, you, you get the. The draining. Right. Sort of the. Of the yeah. Darkness fading, or mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. Um,
1: right. And then it all ends in her grief, which is really what this has been about the whole time. You know? Like. You know?
0: And then. That- and vengeance don't forget
1: and don't forget vengeance yes of course Um, not
0: um yeah yeah i don't i mean you know and it's it's the nice sort of thing to you know xander the the body right he's not the heart
1: mm
0: -hmm. uh at least in our triptych sort of way um in our
1: triptych anyway
0: but there is that, you know, he's the everyman, he's not the superhero, he's whatever and and but you need that kind too, right? like like, yeah, maybe it doesn't happen often, but in the right place at the right time, he can save the world as long as he's willing to step up right, right right and and that's and you get sort of the child's you know back at the magic shop, like going, you know, oh yes, yes, you know, like this is what I was hoping would happen. Um with that thing, you know, I guess it's that thing of like, but you can't tell him like you can't just say to Xander, hey, right. you gotta be the one to save her. Like it it you right. know, he has to realize it on his own or whatever. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah. It only um, it only is true if it worked if it happens on its own um you know it has to like the genuineness of of it come has to come from a place where it's Sander making that decision um yeah and like as the body like it, his just his kind of the solid reliableness of him that like yeah he's been there since kindergarten and he's the shoulder to cry on literally you know, that like mm-hmm. he's, you know, uh, and that's that is an, an important function, you know?
0: Yeah. And like you said, like he sacrifices himself like he literally puts his body,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, between Willow and her object. Right. Like right. that's in order to get her attention and and all of that. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, we're a couple minutes over. But we still got one last little bit to talk about.
1: One last little bit. One last little bit. Um, so
0: yeah, so so Spike uh passes his test.
1: Yeah, he does. Um and uh,
0: I I don't know if it's with flying colors, but
1: <laughs> he's he certainly not pretty, like happy about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, seems pretty uh downtrodden.
1: Yes. No, they're not easy tests, but um yeah, so uh, so Buffy can get what she deserves, um, you know. The, the the latest in a long line of like cryptic, yeah, you know, misleading statements. Um, I,
0: well, that's what I was gonna ask. Did you? What did you think? I was didn't. Happen? I
1: didn't catch on to. I mean, I didn't. I mean, I I think I kind of imagined probably what they wanted me to of if it's about getting rid of the chip. Um, I, it did occur to me to wonder at one point if he knew how to get rid of the chip why didn't he do it before so that should have tipped me off that that wasn't like what he was really after the whole time that maybe that was a little too easy um, but um, yeah I definitely didn't see the the return of the soul um, being the kind of end point there Um, yeah, so, (laughs) um, we will see what happens with that. Um, yeah, I, like, I don't even know, like, that is certainly a complicated scenario that is being created for, for him and Buffy. Um, you know, and it kind of makes me wonder too like like what spikes thought process here as far as like is it a kind of conclusion of a way to be more like Angel because that's what Buffy likes or that's what Buffy deserves or that's what he's trying to emulate in that way or is it you know a a kind of more about Spike himself, you know, being redeemed. I guess they're not mutually exclusive, but, um, I mean, the other thing too is with Angel, you have the element of the gypsy curse, which isn't the case here. So, you know, Angel's soul comes with a condition, you know, like it comes with the kind of caveat that he can't ever really be truly happy. Um, that's not necessarily true for Spike if he's getting his soul from different source. Um, sure. So in some way, I could see him coming back saying, I'm better than Angel because, you know, I have the soul and I'm never going to lose it, um, you know?
0: Yeah, but, I mean... Who's to say what might or might not happen um, no, but you're right I mean definitely it it is a different situation like there isn't he won it back, which what does that mean like does does that make him even better than angel in sort of a way because mm-hmm. angel was you know his soul was sort of foisted on him and and like you said it was with condition so uh you know, with Spike, it's, it's not even that he, like, got his soul back, but, like, that there was a do- a desire to have it, you know, for a purpose, whatever that purpose might be. So,
1: right.
0: yeah, there's definitely, I mean, obviously a very different situation in a way. Um, on the flip side, like, things with souls don't always, I, i.e. people, uh, don't always... They're not always good. No,
1: I mean, right. We just got over an episode where Willow had to be talked off a ledge. And, you know, Warren and Andrew and Jonathan were like the recurring villains. So, yeah, it doesn't necessarily (laughs) make uh, you you a good guy, you know.
0: Having a soul is not the same as being good. It just means you have a soul, whatever that is. Um, So... Yeah, I mean, that's the other aspect. I mean, we've, we've seen very brief snippets of William pre-Spike. So, you know, he right. was kind of weak, weak-willed and right. not altogether, uh, you know, the most enthralling guy. <laughs> so, you know, what's to Maybe say? Maybe he's going to come
1: back and write Buffy some terrible poetry. Try
0: to woo her with his with his verse yeah but yeah so you know for better or worse though he uh has been re-ensold and uh we'll we'll find out where that takes us
1: Mm -hmm. all right yep
0: well we should probably move on to bsg yep um and and fortunately, this is another one where we kind of just have a couple of pairs of people to talk about. We might not even need to take the whole time. Um,
1: yeah, I think probably if we don't, that'll be all right on this one.
0: Yeah, well, so the setup... Um, well, there's kind of two set setups, right? So the one setup is with Adama, and it's sort of his anniversary. And so you get, like, him... You know, thinking back to, like, his ex-wife, mm-hmm. uh, who's now dead, right? You know, so Lee's mother and, right. uh, you know, she died with everyone else. But even before that, they were separated. It's right. not like he's... He wasn't a widower because they were already split up.
1: Right, right.
0: Um, and... Yeah, I mean, it's very sappy kind of you know they have a lot of little conversation and hints about stuff but I don't I don't know that like I don't know that there's a lot to say because I here's kind of the thing that I was thinking the second time I watched it through Um, like I don't they kind of go through a lot to just sort of tell you how crappy this woman was right and and like like even even where you're kind of expecting lee at the end to kind of defend her a little bit it's like yeah dad when you left it really sucked like it sucked when you were around but it really sucked when you (laughs) left like I just i don't i guess i'm not i don't quite get and there's like several assertions of like oh we had some good times. But we don't like, really see any of them. Like all yeah. we see is her kind of, you know, harping on him a bit, yeah. and him kind of being addicted to her. Yeah. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like I don't, I don't know what you can get out of that. And and for some, and I think this this might be like the big, the biggest part of the problem I have with at least that aspect of the episode is just. I just don't see why we're supposed to like care about mm-hmm. her and their relationship. Cause it just doesn't seem like right. much of a thing. And there's yeah. not even like, like, I think what, so, okay. So let's move on and to talk about Rosaline. Cause like, like this is the contrast that I think they're trying to make Right. is, is between like Carol Ann and, Younger, younger Adama, and like now Adama's sort of burgeoning relationship with Roslin, mm-hmm. you know and and I think they're trying to like draw a compare and contrast, but it's like, yeah, Roslin, every time, like right. there's no comparison it's no competition, like, right like what like one he was already divorced, two she's dead, and three she wasn't all that nice when she was alive it seems like like what right what it what like is there if there's some like ghost haunting adama then it's like all right i guess like you have to deal with it but i just don't see like what the big deal is here with all of
1: that right I don't right. Know. yeah no i don't i don't disagree um yeah like yeah as if we don't already prefer Rosalind just by virtue of the fact that like we know her um you know there is all the things of like yeah what attractive qualities does this ex-wife have at all that we see um they kind of I think go a little too far out of the way to handicap her in terms of you know yeah being kind of you know shrewish if I can use that term you know, in the in the kind of stereotypical, like, of annoying, nagging wife is. Like, when it's not, like, if you choose to take the character that way, that's not exactly a fun character to have around. Um, I feel like, in some ways, she kind of reminds me, or the relationship reminds me a bit of the ties. Um, but sure. there's, for as messed up as they were as a couple they were fun to watch, you know, in a way that, like... Yeah, they
0: worked together.
1: Like, there's, like, something... Even if you wouldn't necessarily... I feel like, like, maybe the Ties and Ellen in general are kind of one of those characters that, like, you wouldn't really necessarily want to know in real life, but you like to watch them on the TV screen. Like, they're, like... Her kind of unpredictable, you know, zest for everything is sort of there's something attractive about that even if you know she would drive you absolutely crazy um and so i feel like that's maybe kind of why this this doesn't have any of that like it's all the attract all of the unattractive qualities and none of the kind of like fun of seeing why they like they don't really have a lot of chemistry really um yeah and the one thing i do kind of Potentially like about it, um which they don't really get into, and I don't even really mind that they don't, is the completely normal way that, like, Adama kind of like uses kind of projection in this episode, and he has a head character following him around. And there's a kind of, <laughs> like, especially, like, once I've sure. seen this show before, it's sort of like funny to have, especially the scene in the beginning when he gets out of bed and there's know she's in the bed with him and for a second you think does he like you know have like a lady in the bed with him like what's going on and then you realize like oh it's all in his imagination and you kind of think well how is this different than Baltar in his little mind palace having conversations with his imaginary lover you know and so I'm not saying that they're suggesting that yeah. Adama's is a Cylon. I mean, clearly with Baltar, they've suggested that projection isn't necessarily a purely Cylon activity, that there could be, you know, right. using your imagination to, you know, work things out that are troubling you seems to be a thing that humans and Cylons can do. Um, so it kind of, I like the connection there, but I don't really like Carol Ann all that much and other than kind of noting that fact i'm not sure that it um really does all that much for you know adama's development um like again like does i don't know that it, again really tells us much that we didn't know that like we kind of knew he was an absent dad and right. not not really right. a great one you know like and I, we get more of that here well, than and like of how much he doesn't know about Lee and everything. So it's like we kind of knew that already.
0: I guess that's kind of what I mean, too, because it's like. Yeah, we already did know all of that. And the only insight it gives us into their mother is that like she was kind of a jerk, too. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, like it's not even like and, and I'm not saying that like. She would have had to have been a saint or anything, but. I don't know. I guess I just...
1: Right. Like, why why have a new character whose only purpose is to be sort of put down? Yeah. Like, what does right. she contribute other than just being, like, kind of a straw woman? You know? Right.
0: and at, Right. Because at least with Adama, like, yes, he was absent, and yes, he had a strained relationship, but, like, we do see him now, like, with Lee, anyway, like, trying... To repair things and trying to do whatever, and now it's like, now we just get this like shrewish to use your word, <laughs> like you know ex-wife kind of whispering in his ear, and like, and so again, like, okay, so yeah, so if if we're gonna look at this as maybe some you know similar to project- projection or head characters that we've seen elsewhere, like yeah, like is this more of a reflection on her or on him, mm. like like maybe. I don't think the episode does well enough to like bring us to this conclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not even sure the writers meant this conclusion from it, but maybe this is one way to sort of rescue it. Like is is by just saying, like, oh, this is his you know, version of her. Right. And so that's why she's truish and mean and and right. Right. you know, giving him trouble is because it's not maybe how she really was. But then you get the Lee's independent confirmation that she was right. kind of a drunk and right. not too pleasant. So,
1: yeah, I, I do agree uh, that like, that might be a nice reading, but it, it doesn't necessarily seem like the episode. Um, comes to the conclusion. It's sort of one you jump to kind of just in putting the the pieces together from other things that we have seen, yeah. um, that maybe they weren't, they didn't quite, if they thought it through enough, they might've got there, but they didn't necessarily connect those dots themselves. Um, so.
0: So, yeah. So, okay.
1: I mean, so, and, and, and so without getting into the specifics of like Carol Ann's personality and their relationship, you know, I think mm-hmm. it at least does raise the, the question of, or at least contrasts in general with the Adama-Roslyn relationship and, and kind of this notion, even if Carol Ann doesn't really work as a character, just the the notion of Adama having, you know, it in his mind that he might, you know, be with anybody else. And, and being might kind of... Might finally move on? Might finally move on and still being haunted by this relationship that was over long before the Cylons ever hit, but they certainly killed it dead if it wasn't totally... So, like, pun intended. So, you know, I guess, like, it does that, too. It kind of brings... It puts Adama and Rosalind as, like, a ship. Like, more, like, in the center. Whereas I feel like it hasn't really been in the center stage much before i think it's been hinted at Mm -hmm. but i feel like this is the first episode where it's like a plot point like a oh will they won't they kind of thing right
0: right so speaking of yeah she just comes to the galactica because oh well you know i know we could have done this by wireless but i wanted to see you no i mean i wanted
1: Right, I to see to, Yeah,
0: I thought it would be easier to talk it through in person.
1: Right.
0: Um. Yeah, and uh, and then like ask, oh, like, oh, do you mind if I stick around for a while? Hmm. <laughs> right. Like. Okay. Yep. Um. Yeah. I mean, sort of the the pretense, and I mean, it's not wholly pretense. Like, this is something they need to talk about is the the impending Baltar trial Mm -hmm. right of you know what law do we use you know what format do we use and all of these things and she's gonna put together a committee to work all this stuff out and wants Lee to be the one to sort of lead the committee Mm -hmm. um and we've heard before about Adama's father having been like a civil rights lawyer or something and, and all of that so um kind of makes sense to keep that in the family although certainly would be sort of inappropriate to have Adama himself serve in that capacity yeah right um but yeah uh I mean that's all the pretense that she has coming but then they end up talking about uh that one night on New Caprica right Right. of uh the groundbreaking ceremony um which we've talked about before, obviously, yeah. um, with the dancing and the Right, the and the, the weed smoking. And, <laughs> and the, yeah, smoking of some kind of weed. Right. That, Pipe you weed. know, seems to have certain uh, uh, effect on people. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, and, you know, we don't see them through the whole night. Um what implications you may or may not want to draw, whatever. Yeah. But there there seems to be like there's that idea that Adama brings up of like, you know, how do you think things would have gone had mm-hmm. the Cylons not like found us and you know, put us all in jail and whatever. Right. Um and Roslin sort of pretty pretty boldly sort of is like, yeah, you know, things might have happened. Who knows? Like what's going on? And like, obviously there's, there's like text and, and subtext, Mm -hmm. you know, in all of this. So, um, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know how much, uh, to bring in in into it, but you know, it is interesting that sort of that main, the core of that conversation is, Vague enough that you don't know if they're talking about like the colony, or mm-hmm. like themselves as like right. a couple. Right. And so like like, um, you know, uh, like Adama says, "You ever wonder what would have happened if the Cylons hadn't come back?" Rhaosen says, "I I think given Baltar and the terrain, we couldn't have made a go of it." Mm-hmm. What about you? Do you think you would have stayed on Galactia, or do you think you would have settled? And so like like there are these like words and phrases that could mean like, Mm. like Baltar and the terrain could mean like Baltar and like the landscape, you know, like it would have been too harsh to like build homes and whatever. Or it could have been like the general atmosphere, the, the, Mm. the, you know, like terrain could be metaphorical there. Sure. And, you know, we couldn't have made a go of it. Like, who's the we, is that like, we, like we, the colonists or like, we Rosalind and Adama, you right, know, and, right. that thing, and, and, you know, do you think you would have settled? Well, you know, does that mean, do you think you would have come down and built a house on new Capra? Or do you think you would have like settled down and, you know, with like me, right, <laughs> like, right. you know, like, like again, like there's that more metaphorical aspect of right, it that, right. that could be me. So there's sort of the double entendre there. Um, and then, you know, Adama's, uh, well, it's pretty hypothetical, isn't, isn't it? And then, and then, you know, Rosalind's sort of rash reply, well, it is until it isn't, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then laughing at herself because, and I think that's the clue, right? Like, that's the clue that it's not just, right. they're not just talking about, like, the colony as a whole. Like, they're talking about them. Right.
1: Uh, right. And she's aware of... You know, and, right, and there, yeah. And right, and there, right,
0: there's a self awareness there.
1: Right.
0: Um. I mean, you know, probably that bit is the best part of the episode for me. Mm-hmm. Um. At least of the parts that made it into the episode. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, we'll, no, we'll get to the, that in a moment. That is
1: a good scene. Yeah. Um. um
0: but, but I, you know, I, 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 I kind of like how they have the the. You know, um, nuance there of, of the speech and stuff, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know that we need to go much further into that specifically. I don't, uh, I, you know, right. I don't know if you have anything else to add to it. I mean, I guess
1: just the final note of it being, you know, he asked, would she have built the cabin? Okay, well, this is all hypothetical. If the silence hadn't come back, but they did, so we never know what would have happened. Um, but then she kind of finishes with. The answer is yes. I would have. I absolutely would have built the cabin. So, kind of leaving the again, whether we're talking literally or metaphorically here, leaving that door open right. for future exploration. You know, and when I come back, we'll talk more about that. That like this, both as colonists looking to settle and build homes and build a life, and as two characters potentially talking about like a relationship that this conversation isn't over. Um, There's, Mm -hmm. you know, that door is left open for future developments. Um, So, yeah. Um, And her, again, with the self-awareness, her deliberately letting him know that that's where she stands and everything.
0: um all right so should we talk about the other scene now the scene uh, that the the cut scene never
1: was oh man yeah this one hurts well
0: only because it does have to do with rosalyn and adama and so it makes sense to talk about here yeah i wrote Um, you you a little yeah set it up yeah
1: you know i want to take the lead because i wrote you a little ranting email where like i you know i i did watch like when i got the DVDs like the deleted scenes and like I feel like in general I think that most of them are deleted for a reason and I don't even remember what they were Um, whereas like this one I feel like was deleted by mistake and you know needs to be restored in headcanon if nowhere else um and Mm -hmm. I mean even the fact that it's stuck in my memory is probably an indication that it's you know a little bit more notable, but um, I'll link to it in the show notes, but it's the one of uh, Dee and Gaeta bringing their report to Adama and they talk about, you know, Adama and Roslyn potentially being a couple and then gross themselves out because it's like talking about their parents <laughs> and and then have to like stifle the the giggles in front of like Ty, who's just like all business and right. no time for this. And- silliness this
0: is this is leading right into the beginning right. where ty right. brings the report, the report in right right uh, and so the idea being that this must be like a daily occurrence right like this is right. a daily right. briefing right and and it's like normally d and gata who bring it like right
1: it seems that they, way. they're yeah.
0: just going around their daily responsibilities but ty knowing what day it is right steps
1: in. Right. Volunteers to get, I can, I can read a report. Don't patronize me. Um, so yeah, I wrote you a little ranting email because I feel like, I mean, I like this just because I like these characters and I feel like they don't necessarily always get enough to do. Um, so I like just having more of them, but, um, I actually feel like this is a really effective scene because it does many things at once. Um, so if I pull up my little, my little bullet points here, um yeah it's the beginning scene so it bookends with the ending of where you're establishing you know the Adama Roslyn kind of ship as it were like as a thing um so it's kind of setting a little you know uh, it's a little setup for that um Mm -hmm. but also kind of letting you know this isn't just Adama and Rosalind, that this is a thing which is somewhat noticeable among the other characters, that they can see that, like, oh, like, she does like Galactica. She comes here a lot. They're spending a lot of time together. And, yeah, it might gross them out in a kind of, like, ew, it's our parents kind of way. But, like, you know that they're kind of just being silly. Like, clearly there's something there to be noticed, I think. Um, You know, and it, it also, like, if the kind of day-in-the-life theme is, you know, showing the daily routines of the characters, as you said, it kind of advances that, again, of showing, like, normal operations. Um, And the thing I think it does the best is do what the woman king didn't do, which is, like, show a convincing friendship among the crew of, like, oh, here's two characters that actually plausibly are good friends, spend a lot of time together, make each other laugh in a kind of natural and believable sort of way, rather sure. than just sort of picking six random characters and throwing them into, like, a bar together. Um right. You know, it kind of makes a bit more sense within the context of what we know about them. Um, so, yeah. Um, I feel like it was a, you know... A mistake to cut it, especially considering that there is stuff you could cut from this episode, you know, like whether it's one scene between Adama and Carol Ann or, you know, the um, the infamous rash that Hot Dog <laughs> has and inexplicably tells Hilo for no apparent reason. And we never hear about it again. Um yeah. You know, if that's trying to – I feel like that has to be trying to do the kind of day-in-the-life thing of, like, oh, this is pilot – this is, right. this is you know, dirty pilot banter. But, like, that's too much information about hot dog. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. And I don't even care about the, like, lewdness of it. It's just that, like, it never – it's not important. Like, we never – yeah, we never hear about it. It's, like, not – it's not like hot dog, you know – being like you know promiscuous is even a thing it's just that like oh he has a rash and maybe it's not even from that maybe it's just a normal rash but how would we know because it never comes up again so anyway i would totally have cut that little moment and uh kept this opening scene if i if i had my druthers but um, and Rant, you can feel free to, you know, we talked about Ripper and head Canon and everything. And this is, mm-hmm. for as much as we care or don't care about what constitutes canon, um, this is my, this is in my personal canon of, <laughs> well, I just play this scene at the end of the episode and pretend that it belongs there or at the sure. beginning of the episode, I guess.
0: Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't disagree, actually, with any of that. I think the scene is kind of fun and funny. We don't get a lot of, like, sort of genuine laughter and hilarity uh, going on, so.
1: That's true. And especially with those characters uh, lately. Yeah.
0: I I do wonder, right, right, yeah. Well, yeah, and the, the gate at tie. Mm-hmm uh interaction is maybe a little
1: right not not quite you right. know
0: quite right given that you know ty tried to basically kill him sure um but you know right whatever like like i i can forgive that more than like yeah the completely bizarre ways that characters were acting in the woman king like you said. <laughs> sure um so you know it is what it is. Uh, yeah. Also, just thinking about it, like it didn't—it didn't really occur to me before when I read your rant and then watched the <laughs> scene. Um, but just as you were talking now, um, I mean, it does make sense that D and Gata like I don't know that we're meant to think that this is like ship-wide speculation. Right, sure. It does make sense that D and Gata, being yeah. in the position they are, D as a communications officer. Well, I guess, is she still a communications officer at this
1: point? I don't like, know, really. she got promoted, really. I guess right? she's kind of promoted, yeah. But they're both in CIC. They're both spending a lot of time they're still with in CIC. Adama, yeah. Well, I'm just,
0: and, and like, because she was on Pegasus in- for a while, but Pegasus is no no more. That's so, true.
1: I think she's kind of back, she's kind of like Hilo, like a bit freelancing
0: yeah. wherever they need her, but I think she's mostly in CIC. Um, So all that to say, just like, like she's monitoring communications between the ships and, mm-hmm. you know, will would we'll hear when Roslyn's coming over and this and that Gata, you know, is in the CIC. He knows, you know, Adama's schedule. He's kind of like the assistant, you know, the admin assistant for Adama in a way, mm-hmm. like, you know, there's, you know, just kind of so. So I think there's also a sense that like they're both sort of in unique positions to see right, this kind sure. of thing going on. Yeah. Um, and that and that's not to say that maybe it's not a bigger rumor than just them. But you know, it does make sense that of of like all the people to have the conversation, they would be the ones to have it, right? Because mm-hmm. it's like they're in yeah in the know you know, in that inner sanctum of the CIC and so to speak.
1: Right. Right. No, that is a good point. Um, yep. Well, we kind of talked a bit about Rosalind's plan for Lee. Is there anything else with Lee specifically? I mean, we also talked to kind of about his daddy issues and, you know, all of
0: this. yeah, I don't, I mean, no, I think, I think we're good. Um, just at the end, You know, uh, Adama drops off. Oh, I found these books in storage, I guess.
1: Um, Oops. Look who had these the whole time. Yeah.
0: Um, You know, the the set of legal books for the colonies and whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, kind of a nice gesture, kind of acknowledging that Lee is different from him. But also, I think, in a way... Obviously, it's not a reconci- reconciliation of Adama with his own father, mm. but but there's kind, kind kind of the fact that he still has the books mm-hmm. does show that like maybe there's a willingness there to you know were it possible to have that reconciliation, but also you know show you know that having that parallel of the strained relationship you know a father and son yeah. in in both directions for Adama. Right. Um, Right. Right. And I
1: think acknowledging that Lee is different from him is a big part of that, of saying like, yeah, like, well, he never showed any interest in law. And it's like, Adama, you're such a doofus. Like he did. It's just, you didn't know, or you didn't ask, or you didn't,
0: or you weren't around, or
1: you weren't around or whatever. And so, yeah, by passing on that link from grandfather to grandson, it's kind of acknowledging that, that element has skipped a generation, but that's that's okay. That's what happens sometimes. It doesn't, you don't have to take it personally if your son isn't, you know, a little carbon copy of yourself, which right. it sounds like consistently that was what Adama wanted of his sons was to be like him, to be pilots, right. to go into the military. Right. I mean, this got Zach killed. You know, the pressure yeah. to be a pilot when he was not, cut out to be one was not a good thing for him. So it's a kind of moving away from that, um, you know, that insistence that they, you know, carry on his personal legacy and everything.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, right. So uh, the other sort of couple that we follow is uh, Tyrell and Callie. Mm -hmm. um i don't like the situation's fine like there's nothing wrong like i mean i actually think it's there you know there's there's nothing wrong with it or anything um Mm -hmm. we've already gotten the the setup of uh you know the chief like oh you know marriage that's why they build bars right um so we already know they're having problems um You know, it's around the stuff that, like, parents and, you know, parents of newborns and, you know, relatively newlywed people, Mm -hmm. you know, have problems with, you know, spending enough time together, one feeling like the other one's not paying attention, you know, enough to the relationship and, um, you know, those types of things. I don't, I mean... I like both Tyrell and Callie. Would be nice to see them work things out, but it's just kind of like, yeah, they go in, they get trapped in the airlock, things go bad, you know. They end up having to like do a spacewalk without a suit, Mm -hmm. basically, and you know get pulled into a raptor. Um, Tyrell makes it out relatively unscathed, Mm -hmm. Um, you know. You know, maybe a little got a little time you know that he's gonna need to recover but callie uh obviously takes a, a pretty bad hit mm-hmm. there with um having to be in the hyperbaric chamber and all of that yeah so um i don't i don't know that we need to go like it is kind of funny when they're like arguing about stuff in front of Celix, and it's very awkward mm-hmm. you know um and all of that like that's kind of always funny to see um but it's just sort of like standard issue stuff. Like, I don't know that there's anything sure. there un- unless you have something that you want to pick out.
1: In um, particular. I don't know that I do really. Um, I mean, I guess one of the most interesting parts for me is like that section where they, you know, are kind of trying to figure out what happens to the baby. If something happens to them, You know, and there's the kind of kind of suggestive line about we both know what happens to kids in the fleet when their parents aren't there for them. And it's like, what? What happens? I don't know. (laughs) Like, that's an ominous sentence that doesn't, you know, they know apparently, but we don't know what happens to kids in the fleet. Um, So that's kind of like a scary and suggestive kind of thing. Um, so then, but then like her thing of like, well, but they have to go to civilians because of no more pilots. Like this is, you know, like if if you go to pilots, you're almost guaranteed to go through this again. So, I mean, I guess in a way I feel like that does go with the kind of day in the life theme of like you know, horrific as this is, this is kind of a day in the life and, like, these kinds of emergencies and dangerous situations are part of life in the fleet, Um, especially on Galactica. So I guess kind of showing that, because that's not something we ever really, I don't think, hear about is, like, Mm. you know. Um, So it's kind of left hanging as this sort of scary possibility of these orphaned, children in the fleet. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, so that's, I think kind of, there's like interesting little notes like that, but other than that, yeah, it's pretty, it's a pretty straightforward, yeah. like they're in danger. We have to get them out of danger kind of plot. I'm not yeah. sure there's a lot of, um, like other than scaring them enough into a kind of reconciliation, you know i don't know that it like changes their characters hugely i think you know they're right. able to let go of the, the pettiness of some of their fighting in the light of you know mortality but other than that i don't think this is like a huge like turning point for their characters or anything like that um yep so i would agree yeah, and, like, and there's not really much to go over, like... I mean, again, with the day in the life, it does try to include some of the more minor characters, like you mentioned C-licks, um Hot Dog, obviously. Um, Narcho is one of the other pilots. He was, like, the, the bizarro Starbuck, like, the hotshot, you know, Pegasus pilot. He gets, like, a line or something, so it kind of... um tries to like mix up the cast a little bit. But other than yeah. that, um, I'm not sure that there's a ton more to say about that plot line.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, Which means I think we're kind of at the end then, right? Okay. <laughs> yep. I mean, I don't, unless there's anything I'm forgetting. Um, I don't think so. Uh, well, on that note, then, um, we'll be back next week for with some more BSG and uh, the Season 6 recap with Buffy.
1: Sounds good. See you then. <laughs>